0: As I mentioned a little earlier in the service, we're wrapping up a Sabbath series in which we've talked about recreation and restoration, how God invites us to enjoy the world He's made in part through resting, how God invites us to worship and to rest from our attempts to save ourselves. And today we're going to be focusing on some different ways that we find rest in this world and the next. And by the way, after the first children's message, some people asked me if I had a plan for the house after the sermon series. I do not. So if you want a lightly used piece of real estate, let me know this week. If you don't, don't let me know. So I'll be reading a few verses from Exodus 20, then we'll go straight to Hebrews and then back to John. This is God's word for us this morning. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then from Hebrews 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later, he spoke through David, as was said before. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And then finally from John chapter 14 this morning. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. As we think about Sabbath rest rest today, I'm going to talk about three problems, three issues in our lives, and then three ways that the rest that God intends for us, that that rest helps to address those problems. So we'll talk about how rest helps us to really trust God, how rest brings us freedom from sin, and then also we'll talk about the eternal rest, the eternal home that God has prepared for us. The first problem that we're going to talk about this morning is that we're too busy. We are just too busy, and we are driven to be too busy. Our lives often are just too full, and we don't rest well. If you've ever watched parents of young kids trying to clean up their house, it can be quite a Quite an entertaining experience. They'll be over here picking up the little cars as fast as they can, and then the kids dump out all the Legos over there. So they go over there and step on a few Legos, which is a really miserable experience, and then they pick up the Legos and they get them back in the container, and then all the stuffed animals are out in the living room. So you run to the living room and you pick up the stuffed animals, and then you hear this concert coming from the kitchen because the kids have pulled out all the pots and pans and the spoons and they're banging away on the drums. And you run in there, and if grandpa's over half the time, you find out grandpa actually took down all the stuff from the top shelves the kids aren't supposed to play with, and grandpa's sitting there drumming away with the kids. And as young parents, you get it, you get it from both ends, right? And it feels like sometimes you just can't ever stop moving. It feels like you're running around perpetually in this half-crouch, putting out fires and putting things away, and you just can't keep up. And that's how life feels for a lot of us these days. As smartphones and other gadgets have become more and more prevalent, as we become more and more connected, work has intruded more and more into all the parts of our lives. And as kids' activities have become more and more structured and more and more scheduled, we have to do more and more running around to get to all the games and all the things that are scheduled. As life gets more expensive, we have to run faster and faster and faster and faster to keep up. The beat of our lives just keeps on picking up and picking up and picking up and picking up, and often we can hardly keep up. I think often in our busyness, we have this sense that we're being driven. We feel like we have to keep up with this or else, or else what? Well, or else our kids won't have the kind of lives that we want them to have and they won't get into the right college and they won't have the right careers. Or else we won't be able to afford our house and our car and our vacations and our school fees and all these things. Or else, maybe even just or else, we won't be able to look ourselves in the mirror and feel good about ourselves. But I wonder and I wrestle with how much of that or else with our busyness. I have to do this or else. I wonder how much of that gets back to us feeling like we need to make ourselves okay. I wonder how much of our or else really gets back to us feeling like somehow we need to save ourselves, that somehow life won't be okay if we don't keep running and running and running. I think sometimes our busyness is a symptom that we think that the welfare of our families and the quality of our lives is all about how hard we work. And in some ways that's true, but in some ways it's not. And I think some of our busyness, some of our sense of just being frantic comes from the fact that we don't trust God enough. We don't trust God enough to rest, and so we run and we run and we run. And on the flip side of that, when we really do trust God, then we find true rest from being busy. And hang with me here. I'm not saying that all of our busyness is a sign of lack of faith in the Lord. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that some of our running around, some of our feeling driven, some of our sense that we're just busy and overwhelmed, some of that does get back to a trust issue. When we rest when we choose not to do certain things, when we put some things down, that's a real act of trust. If we think especially of Sabbath rest, of taking, taking Sunday or taking some certain routines and stepping back from things to really just rest and enjoy life and not just be productive, when we do that, that's an act of faith. And it's a declaration that it's the Lord who keeps the world running. It is not us Kevin DeYoung a couple times he's a pastor in the Presbyterian Church in America a couple times he's talked about how sabbath is both a gift and a test and in his words sabbath is a sea or an island of get to in a sea of have to our lives are filled with things that we have to do the to-do list never ends But practicing Sabbath rest is a gift because it gives us an opportunity to get to the things that we want to do. It gives us an opportunity to not just be productive worker bees, but to be people, to be people made in God's image who have the opportunity to just enjoy life and the gifts that God gives us. Sabbath is a gift. But you know, Sabbath is also a test. Sabbath can be a test of how much we actually do trust the Lord with our lives. Do we trust the Lord enough to let go of some things? Do we trust the Lord enough to step back sometimes and say, you know, God, you got this. I'm going to trust you. Do we trust the Lord to have rhythms and routines and lifestyles where we don't do absolutely everything we can to keep ourselves how we want to be, but we let God take care of us, and we practice faith and trust in Him. Now, I can't tell you what specific routines or rhythms you need to develop, but I can urge you, I can ask you, find ways in your life to rest from the busyness, Find ways to trust that God will take care of you, that God will make things all right, and that it is not all on you. Practicing Sabbath rest is a way for us to say that as believers, we trust God enough that we will actually live like it. We trust God enough that it will actually impact our lives, and we will leave some things up to Him instead of trying to do it all ourselves. That's our first point for today. For our second point, I want to talk about the problem that we're driven to sin. We're driven to sin. Now, that probably isn't a problem that you expect to pop up in the middle of a sermon on rest. But actually, our Hebrews text for today is all about this. Hebrews 4 tells us to be careful that none of us fall short of the promise of entering God's rest. And that section of Hebrews is looking back to God's people in the Old Testament, and it's reflecting on the reality that a lot of God's people fell short. They disobeyed. They turned away from God to other things. And Hebrews wants us to take that seriously. God has promised to give rest to his people, but so often, so often we don't take advantage of it. This text in particular is looking back to the time in the desert when, when God's people were following Moses, but they kept looking back to Egypt. They kept looking back to slavery and saying, hey, you know, life with the Egyptian gods wasn't all that bad. I mean, we were slaves, but it wasn't all that bad. And they kept trying to find ways in the wilderness not to follow the Lord, but instead to do things their own way to make life work, to maybe just this one time have things go the way they want it to go because it'd feel good this time, you know? The Israelites were constantly disobedient. They were constantly pulled away from God and to other things. And that's true for us too. Even the best of us are constantly disobedient. Even the best of us are driven far too often to this sense that, you know, if only we indulge this one time, That'll make life better. If only we keep this particular area of our life away from God, just this little area. I can trust Him with that stuff, but if I just keep this little area, that's really what's going to give me the best life. Sin draws us in with all kinds of creative, colorful lies, just this one time. Oh, it'll make it better. Oh, it's not a big deal. But sin never lets its hooks out of us. It's always drawing us in deeper. It's always driving us on to more. Many of us, I think, are haunted by this sense that we aren't good enough. Haunted by this need to to save ourselves. And we can't do it. Sin makes all these promises and it can't keep any of them. And when we go down that road, all we end up in is oppression and slavery. But when we rest... When we rest specifically from our sin, then we find true rest in the freedom that Christ provides. The book of Hebrews doesn't want us to miss this. If we disobey God, if we turn away from Him, then we are turning to be slaves to sin. It's only when we hear the gospel, it's only when we follow Jesus that we find true freedom. In the Heidelberg Catechism's explanation of the fourth commandment, of that commandment that I read from Exodus to rest, to have a Sabbath day, the Catechism has this funny section that for years and years I didn't get. And when it comes to Sabbath, the the Catechism says, and I'm quoting here, one of the things that we do every day, every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways. Sabbath means that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through His Spirit and so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. We are called to rest from our evil ways. The promise and the reality of eternal peace, of eternal rest, of eternal freedom is right in front of us if we just obey and just follow Jesus. Someone wants to find a Christian as just someone who rests in Christ. A Christian is someone who lets go of other things and just rests in Christ. And one value of having having a Sabbath, having a time every week that we set aside specifically to rest and to worship, one value of that is that it reminds us It reminds us on a regular basis that we should turn away from other things. It reminds us on a regular basis that sin keeps pulling at us, but that if we follow Jesus, then we find true freedom. As long as we're running after other things, as long as we're listening to the voices of temptation, we will never find rest. It's only in Christ that we find true rest and true freedom. And the third problem we're going to talk about today is that most people are deeply, deeply restless. We are deeply restless. And the Old Testament, the Israelites looked toward the promised land as their place of rest. That generation that wandered with Moses in the desert spent their whole life looking toward the promised land, toward entering Canaan and finally being at rest. But when they got there, it didn't really change all that much. And that's why Hebrews mentioned that when Joshua led the people into the land, it wasn't their final rest. The people were still sinful. They kept feeling like life just wasn't good enough. They kept feeling like there had to be more to it than this. They still weren't home. They still had all their old problems, and they kept making up new ones. They just didn't find that sense of completion of meaning of peace that we are all still looking for today a number of years ago there was a new york columnist who'd known a number of celebrities from the time that they were you know washing dishes parking cars all the way up through them becoming famous and this columnist wrote about how these people you know they were they were dishwashers they were waitresses they were valets but they had a dream And as they worked and worked, they made all kinds of sacrifices. They put in extra hours. They did all kinds of things so that they could become famous. And a few of them succeeded. A few of them had all their wildest dreams come true. They chased fame and they caught up with it. And then says this columnist, without exception, all of those genuine celebrities were more miserable than they were before. They were miserable when they were washing dishes because they had this dream they wanted to chase after, and they were miserable when they caught the dream because the dream didn't make them anybody different. They were still themselves. They still had all their old problems, and they had more new problems. Getting everything they wanted didn't solve anything. That's true for people who get everything they think they wanted But the reality of our world and our culture, especially these days, maybe, is that a lot of people don't get anything of what they want. A lot of people's lives, in some ways our culture, has just fallen apart, and there is no meaning and no rest to be found. Small-town America used to be the kind of thing you'd picture if you pictured the perfect life. But these days, small-town America is in an epidemic of joblessness, abuse, drug use, people don't have jobs, they don't have meaning, they don't have hope. In a lot of small towns in America these days, the paramedics spend most of their time going around and trying to help people recover from overdosing. They get called to children's little league games where parents have fallen off the bleachers because they overdosed at their kid's baseball game. They get called to the same house three or four times in a day as different family members overdose again and again, because they have no hope. And that's not just a problem in small-town America. That's a problem right here in Elmhurst. You talk to the hospitals, you talk to the funeral directors, and we have an epidemic of people dying here because they can't find any hope, because they can't find any rest, because there is nothing in their life that matters. And so they turn to drugs and they spiral down and down and down. Because just like everything else in this life, the promise of chemicals promises what it can't deliver. There is nothing in this life that can give us real rest. There is no peace to be found in this world. There is no peace to be found in this world apart from Christ. We are deeply restless, but God gives us eternal rest. God gives us the promise and the reality of real rest, and His is the only promise that can be fulfilled. The rest that God gives His people, it gives us real peace and real hope. It gives us reason to celebrate even when life seems empty. The rest that God promises us, the rest that God begins to give us in this life, changes everything for eternity, and it even begins to change today. When life feels empty and hopeless, Jesus offers real hope. If we chase anything else, doesn't matter what it is, if we chase anything else and make it our ultimate goal, it will let us down. There is nowhere else that we can find real Rest. There's this famous centuries-old prayer that goes, Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Thee. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Thee. That prayer was written by a man called Augustine, and he had everything, everything you could ever want, and he wasn't happy. He wasn't at peace. He was restless, and it was only when he finally turned to Jesus that he found the rest he had been looking for his whole life. When we turn to Jesus, we find rest that transforms our lives even today. When other things let us down, we can be okay because God holds on to us. And only in the Lord Jesus Christ do we find the answers to the deepest questions of our heart. And so in Jesus, we have hope of living in what Hebrews 4.9 calls the Sabbath rest of the people of God, that's mostly looking toward our eternal destiny, toward living in our Father's house, toward, toward heaven. That's mostly what it's talking about, but as it looks toward that, that works backward to change our lives even today. But I think a lot of us, I think a lot of us have what you could call a heaven problem. We have this problem when we think of heaven that we picture fluffy clouds and harps and white robes. And we think, boy, that'd be nice to get there and take a nice nap. But five minutes after you wake up from your nap, what is there left to do? We tend to think of heaven by virtue of subtraction. We take away all the bad things and we think it'll be good. But we don't actually have a very positive picture of what kind of eternal rest God has promised to us. I think often heaven actually looks, sounds, feels to us kind of like a boring retirement home. Like you're just stuck in the nursing home with some other people and yeah, there's some stuff to do, but really it's kind of dull. But that's not the hope that Scripture holds out to us for eternity or for now. When Hebrews 4, chapter 4, 9 talks about the Sabbath rest of the people of God, it's using a word there that means celebration. It's using a word there that is vibrant, that is full of life and power that wants us to hear that this Sabbath rest Is the best thing ever. That particular word is just full of life. We have a hope of an eternal celebration, and Hebrews wants to give us this vision of life that is everything you could ever picture and more. Now, let me give you just a small picture of what I think that might look like. In high school, I went on a summer service project to Juarez, Mexico we went with a group from my church. We were going to build a house for some people who didn't really have anywhere to live there. And we went with my dad, six high schoolers, and then a couple who were about 75. So there were nine of us. And when we showed up, the college intern who was going to be our guide for that week was a little concerned. Because they usually had groups of 30 or 40 people. And often it was really tight to get the work done in a week. And he had a group of nine and six of them were crazy, goofy high schoolers, and two of them, and when you're in college and you're like 21, 75-year-olds look really old. When you're 75, 95, look, you know, when you're 95, 105-year-olds look really old. But when you're 21, a 75-year-old looks like a pretty old person. So he was kind of freaked out. He stopped being freaked out when he was putting together the frame for the foundation, and Herm and Peggy, this nice retired couple, kind of pushed him out of the way, lined up the boards. And Peggy had this nice stroke with a hammer that she could take a a two-and-a-half-inch nail and hit it twice and get it buried in the piece of wood. So Herm and Peggy just went down the road, ba-boom, 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 what's next? All of a sudden, it was going to be okay that week. And we built the house in like three days, fastest ever. We knew how to work. We had a lot of fun at night. We ate a lot of good Mexican food. We ate some not-so-good Mexican food, because you always got to do that when you go to Mexico for some reason. We sat around, we talked about Jesus, we read the Bible, we prayed for a couple hours every night. We got to know each other, we were really close, we had discussions about significant life choices and those of us who were younger talked about some things we wanted to do with our lives and some of the people who were older talked about their life experiences and how they made decisions and things they regretted and things they really valued. It was a great week. It was a week of good activity to do, of meaningful work together it was a week of real rest and enjoyment, most of the time anyway, except the nights we had the bad burritos. It was a time of fellowship, a time of celebration. Now, I'm not saying that heaven is just like a Mexico surf trip. That's not quite how it works, as all of you who've gone, who are going, know. But think in terms of that mountaintop type of experience. Think in terms of maybe those times in your life where you were really together with people, Maybe you were busy, but you were really together with people and you celebrated and you shared in each other's life deeply and you prayed and you read the Bible and you grew together. I think maybe that gives us just a little tiny picture, just a little tiny picture of the type of rest that God has in mind for each of us. God calls all of his people to a Sabbath rest where we will where we'll celebrate together, where we'll look back over our lives, and I think then we'll finally be able to see what God was up to in some of the hard times. And we'll see blessings that we didn't even realize at the time, and we'll learn from each other more about God, and we'll develop deeper relationships with each other as eternity goes on and on, and we celebrate together with the Lord and His people. That is the kind of rest that God promises to us and that is the kind of rest that gives us hope and gives our lives meaning even today that text that i read from john chapter 14 it's a text that we often read that we often read at funerals i hesitated a little bit even to use it today cuz almost all the time when i read it i read it at funerals but i think the reason we read it a lot is that it is a wonderful text that tells us where we really belong and where in Jesus we are really headed. And in those verses, Jesus tells his disciples that he is going and preparing a place for them. Jesus is saying, I am going ahead of you and I am making a room, a room especially for you in my Father's house. If we belong to Jesus, no matter what this life looks like, no matter how tough it gets, If we belong to Jesus, we have a room reserved for us in the Father's house forever. If you believe in Jesus, you have a place prepared for you for eternity. And whatever restlessness, whatever deep questions plague you in this life, when you get there, you will find true rest forever. Whatever sense you have that life is just not right Whatever sense you have that you just can't settle down and be at peace, when you get to the Father's house, all of those questions will be answered or they won't matter anymore. Whatever you feel is missing in life, when we get to the Father's house together, we will find that all the missing pieces have been fulfilled. We'll find all the questions that we have answered. We'll find our lives filled forever with grace and with peace. And because Jesus has prepared a room for each of us, today is different. Because we know in Jesus we have a place to belong forever, today is transformed. Hebrews doesn't tell us that we have that eternal Sabbath rest right now. It tells us that we look forward to it. But the fact that we look forward to that kind of hope and peace and rest, it can transform our lives even now. If we belong to Jesus, we can rest from our busyness and trust in the Lord. If we belong to Jesus, we can rest from running after all the temptations of sin and rest from trying to save ourselves and instead embrace the freedom that we have in Christ. And if we belong to Jesus, we can find real hope real meaning, real rest that will last us forever. And so today, congregation, since we have the promise of rest in Christ Jesus, let's be careful that none of us miss out on that. When we hear the gospel, let's grab hold of it. When we come here together every week and as we live our lives, let's grab hold of Jesus and hold on to this promise that we have that changes our lives today and that gives us hope forever. Let's trust in Jesus because He is with us now and because He has prepared a place for us to be with Him forever. Hold on to Jesus, and you will find the rest that you've always wanted and always needed. Let's pray. Father, we come before You today, and we are restless in so many ways. We are restless because we're busy and we run after all kinds of things. We're restless because sin keeps us moving and keeps us chasing after the wind. We're restless because we have family members and friends and loved ones who don't seem to be able to find rest in you. We're restless because this life seems so broken and we don't know, we don't see how the answers we have or the questions we have could ever be answered. We're restless because we have this sense that things aren't right and we don't see how they could ever, ever, ever be made right. Lord, we come before you today as restless people and we pray that you give us your rest. Father, help us to have deeper faith in you. Help us to really trust you for everything in our lives. And Father, we pray that you free us from sin. Help us to rest from this push that we have to run after other things and instead to turn to you. And Lord, we pray that whatever deep restlessness lies in all of our hearts, that you give us your peace. Lord, be a, help us to be assured that we have an eternal resting place with you, that you have made a home especially for each of us with you forever. And Lord, help that knowledge, help that deep peace to change even our lives today. Lord, we desperately need rest. We don't know how to find it. Lead us into your peace now and forever. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.